Hello, Who Are You Nation. I'm extremely honored today to have a guest on our show who's going to take up two of our episodes. We'll go part one of two today and launch part two of two tomorrow. And the reason why, and I've only done this a few times on the show, is is because there is so much incredible content here that I believe is of value to you, the listener, that I, I had to split it up, and I think you'll know why once you start listening here. So Nathan Adrian, uh, for those who may not know the name, uh, is an Olympian. He has accomplished so many things, both at the college, collegiate level and in the Olympics, and even beyond, and you're going to hear a lot of that here, but I'll just name a few accomplishments here for a minute just to get you familiar and acquainted with Nathan, but uh, before I do, I just want to say that it's it's so much of an honor to interview everybody on the show, but when it comes to Olympians, there is an incredible drive that happens. It, it, there's something that... I hear, I know there's a lot of, uh, the misconception is that every four years they just go out and compete and then they got to wait another four years, right? And that's not the case. I mean, they do have to compete to, of course, make it to that center stage of the Olympics. Um, But there are so many other meets, there's so many other games, there's so many other competitions that go into that. And each one, as I learn, as I speak with Olympians, you know, each one of those really matters and can put you uh, either in or out, which is the true journey. And then the, the, of of course, the icing on the cake is the, I believe, at least from what I've heard, of course, is the competition in the Olympics itself. So it's, it is a, uh, an unbelievable journey to get to a climax, and then there we are. But I just find, Nathan, to fit this profile incredibly well. I mean, you, you hear what I'm about to say, and then I'll come back with a statement. But So uh, individual Olympic gold medalist, 100 freestyle, that was in London. Introduction to the Asian Hall of Fame, which is class of 2014, incredible class that he was inducted with. Member of the 2011 NCAA Men's Championship team. That's uh, He was at University of California, first NCAA championship win in 31 years. He was the swimmer of the meet in 2011, which is a huge, huge deal. Uh, USA Today Olympic Athlete of the Week in 2009. Uh, three-time Pac-10 champion, two-time NCAA Division One All-American, 2011 recipient of the Scholar of the Year. Keep in mind what a great student athlete he was, and incredible student athlete. If you look up the, it's it's called the Newfeld N-E-U-F-E-L-D Scholar Athlete of the Year Award. Look it up. It's just a, it's an amazing accomplishment. He's got a street named after him back in his hometown. I mean. Not to mention this guy's been on Mythbusters swimming through syrup. And yes, we will get to that in our second part of our episode, part two of two. So incredible. Swam with Michael Phelps, continues to swim with all of the great ones uh, and some incredible coaches as well. All this is going to come out. However, what's really going to come out is, is Nathan's humor, his ability to separate himself from the pool and then, of course, to real life, uh, everything else that's going around him. And I shouldn't say real life because the pool is real life, but just the difference and understand that his parents and what an influence they had over him. Just so much great stuff here. It goes on and on. And if you just listen to Nathan without knowing his accomplishments uh, and just heard him speak about some of the life lessons of sports, you, you just come away from it saying, what an incredible person. Uh, you know, he, he could just played uh, uh, Little League Baseball, and he still would be an incredible person. So that's what I love about the show, Life Lessons of Sports. So anyway, without further ado, we get uh, Nathan Adrian on the line here. Big, big special shout-out to the folks over at Octagon, uh, Janie, uh, or Janie, I'm sorry, and Emily, who were influential in helping to get Nathan on. He's got an extremely busy schedule. And uh, I believe at the time of this interview, he's two weeks away from uh, a huge competition that would decide a little bit of his fate for the 2016 Rio Olympics. Anyway, thanks to everybody involved that got Nathan aligned. And Nathan, thank you. Uh, two, two hours, 20 minutes of your time with me on the show was absolutely fantastic. And honestly, we could have gone on for another two, four hours. So here we go, everybody. Welcome. Listen to Nathan Adrian. Who are you? Life Lessons of Sports. <laughs> Welcome to Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports, episode 115. 
Welcome to Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports with your host, Rob Elwood. Join us as we open the door and take an unforgettable journey to unlock the full power of sports on and off the field. Listen to personal stories and reflections from incredible leaders who are sure to move and inspire you. So listen and enjoy another episode of Who Are You? The Life Lessons of Sports. It was tough, you know, it was, it was a, an emotional roller coaster going from being like, man, I'm going to race Michael Phelps and try to beat him to being absolutely crushed and then beat again and thinking you're out of it. And then, you know, somehow finding your spot on the Olympic team. Okay, who are you, Nation? I am extremely honored to introduce our special guest today, Nathan Adrian. Nathan, are you ready to put your game face on and join our team? Absolutely. Great. Well, let's get started. Nathan, do us a favor. For those who don't know you or may not have heard what you're up to lately, please uh, update us on your life and what's going on right now. Well, uh, currently, we are getting ready for our summer season in swimming. And, uh, you know, this is a really important summer because uh, based off of your performance at the trials meet this summer, you will qualify for the next two years of international competitions. Um, and you know, no one's going to want to go into uh, you know something like an Olympic trials or or Rio without a lot of international experience. So everybody looking to uh, to make Rio 2016 is definitely uh, really excited and ready to go fast this summer. That's awesome. So these trials, where are they held, and what's involved? Is it just one meet, a uh, com- combination of meets? What do, what do we got here? So it's going to be called Pan Pacific Games uh, Trials. It's going to be in Irvine, California. So that's going to be kind of fun for us. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm a California guy myself right now. I grew up in Washington, but now living and training in the Bay Area. Um, so it's going to be an outdoor meet. Uh, and it's, it's just like you said, it's going to be one meet um, based off of your performance at the meet that will either qualify you or, you know, leave you at home uh, for the Pan Pacific Games, which are going to happen you know, about three weeks later, um, at the end of August. Wow. Like it. That's what I love about swimming. It's all (laughs) like most sports, but it's all right on the line there. I like it. I really do. That's good stuff. Well, do us a favor, Nathan, to get us started off here at who are you life lessons of sports. We always like to ask our guests uh, a special quote, something that's meant a lot to them along their journey and how it's applied. Do you have one you could share with us? You know, I do. Um, and, to be honest, I've only come across this quote in the last maybe two or three years, and of course, it happened to be a, a Twitter quote. Or not, <laughs> I've, I've fumbled across it uh, via Twitter. Obviously, it's much older than that, but it's an old Muhammad Ali quote. Uh, it goes, "If you ever, if you even dream of beating me, you better wake up and apologize." <laughs> um, and I, I don't take that quote uh, literally because I, I don't think of think of you know my life in that context. You know, I never. I would never think of uh, think of telling one of my opponents this, but I think it really um, kind of illustrates the kind of competitive nature that that professional athleticism has, and the kind of you know absolutely like you know testosterone driven desire to succeed, um, and 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 how intense it, it can be. Um, and obviously, Muhammad Ali was very successful, and a lot of people like look at that and try to emulate it. And I I think it's just. It just adds to the uh, to the nature um, end all be all of sports. Yeah, really, really like that quote. Short to the point, and getting that right mindset always important if uh, if we're going to compete, especially at the level of where you are. So that's a great quote, Muhammad Ali. Now we're going to continue the journey here, and to continue the journey, we got to go back to when little Nathan was running around back in Washington. We're going to bring you back in your neighborhood, if that's okay. Right around 12, 14 years old, before high school. Shape that picture for us. What was it like when we're playing with friends, playing sports in the house at school? What do we have there? Oh, yeah, man. 12 to 14 was an absolute blast. So my parents had a, um, you know, we had, I mean, for living in a in a good old suburbia, we had, I don't know, maybe an acre, a little more uh, of land. And my parents were really cool. So they could let the trees grow out and all this sorts of stuff. And I would play flashlight tag with my friends or do Nerf Wars out in the yard. Um you know that was that was generally what I was doing um, with my friends. Be- besides that, you know, twelve to fourteen was right around when I just started to get pretty serious about uh, swimming and training. Mm-hmm. Um, it became less of an activity that I had to do after school and more of a sport that I, I began to take ownership of and um, and and something that I, I felt like that 
you know, my, my destiny was in my own hands. You know, it wasn't at, at that point. I mean, I, w- I was still growing, um, which, which is nice because basically in sports, you know, you, you grow, you're going to improve. But, yeah. you know, I, I, I it, it was kind of embedded in me that I'm going to get out of the sport what I put in at that point. So I started to train pretty hard um, at, at that age. Yeah. So a couple of takeaways from that. Number one, uh, define Nerf Wars for us, please. <laughs> <laughs> Man, Nerf Wars are Nerf Wars are the best. And I mean, we just you know take a walk down to the local uh, local drugstore or whatever, and and look at the the new the new selection of, of Nerf guns they would have out there. And <laughs> there's nothing more fun than shooting your friends with like some soft Nerf darts as long as it didn't hurt them. Exactly. I mean, I'm guessing that doesn't even stop as of today, does it? <laughs> there's no, 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 no age no. limit on these things. Anybody's down to play with me, I'll, I'll still play with them. <laughs> I love it. You have a little advantage though with your height. I don't know if I'd come running your way. Um, <laughs> and then the flashlight wars. It sounds self-explanatory, but you got to help us out there as well. Oh yeah, I mean it was it was it was basically flashlight tag or like you know hide and seek in in the dark. Um, you know we had a lot of <laughs> a cool trees or, or different things that you could hide behind, and you know it's just just random fun kid things to do outside. <laughs> oh, the glory years, I remember them so well. Now a couple of takeaways though that are on the more serious track here. You mentioned a couple of words that uh, activity transition into a sport, and then you also mentioned the word ownership, and those are really fascinating words to me. Now, of course, looking back, it's it's very easy in the moment. Did you did you understand what was happening? That there was a commitment. Was this on your own? Was this from a coach? From your parents? Where did that drive go? Uh, come from, I should say, to go from activity to sport. So there was a couple things, um, and one of one of them was seeing my older brother and sister succeed, um, and and through that success, I you know I wanted it myself. <laughs> yeah. You know, of course, that's 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 I'm the third child. I have you know a lot of those third child tendencies. <laughs> um, and beyond that, um, one of one of our uh, our local swim team. Um, <laughs> wasn't going to be a team any longer. So I, I actually had to uh, begin commuting to, uh, to, to swim practice. And it was about an hour commute. And for a kid that's, you know, just in, er, in his early teen years, that's kind of a, that's a, that's a long commitment, um, you know, an hour each way to go to, uh, to go swim practice. And, you know, from that, my coach over there, uh, I grew up in Bremerton and the, the coach was in Tacoma. He really instilled some pretty serious values of, of hard work and, and that dedication and ownership um, through swimming. And it, it was, I, I really uh, appreciate it because he did it through, through his actions. Cause he was still a swimmer at that point too, a little bit. He, and he was an open water swimmer. Okay. And um, I think most swimmers would agree that open water swimmers are generally the crazier uh, of, of the bunch because they're just going and swimming for five plus hours straight out in the open water where you can't even see the bottom. You know, that freaks me out. Yeah. So, you know, I, I saw that and I saw his success that he, he achieved through that and the kind of work that he had to put into it. Um, and again, it's something that I was like, Hey man, I want, I want that too. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Now this is where you can publicly thank your parents or whomever drove you back and forth for this one hour practice. Absolutely. And, and I do, I am very thankful for them. Um, it was, it was my parents and you know, if it wasn't the, if, if it wasn't my, uh, my mom driving me, it was my dad that was at home, you know, getting ready to make, uh, to make dinner. So dinner would be hot and ready for me at home. Um, when I got back because, you know, there just wasn't enough hours in the day to, uh, to, to not have that. Yeah. Now, do you remember those drives at all? I always like to reflect back on those moments when you're with <laughs> mom and dad and it's, uh, yeah, it's fun, right? You're going to a practice, you're going to a serious thing, of course, but you're still young and you're driving in the car. Do you remember, do you remember those? Oh those yeah. Days? Yeah. I mean, I remember, I remember a good amount of them, but you know, fortunately again, I was, I was young, I was still growing, I was training, you know, anywhere from two to four hours a day. So I was pretty tired. A lot of times I would end up just sleeping and my mom would really have to bear the grunt of the, uh, of the, of the commute. Sure. Of course. Of course. Well, kudos to your parents there for helping out. It sounds like they had their hands full with uh, your other two older siblings too. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> now I'm going to ask a question that I want you to hopefully take it the right way. I just like to ask because a lot of questions come our way on the show. Uh, at that age, so you meant, was it 12 years old? If you had to define a moment, milestone in your life when activity went to sport, would you say about 12, 13? 
Um, I'd say between 13 and 14 okay. was the beginning of it. And it was, it was steps. It was, it was kind of like a ladder. But that was definitely what I would consider the beginning. Gotcha. So you have your supporters out there, of course. Uh, you also have some people out there who may say, well, that's pretty young to be dedicating such a huge amount of time, two, four hours a day. What are your thoughts on that? And a follow-up to that would be, and again, I ask this constructively only to get your insight, if that had started two, three years later, would there have been a disadvantage? <laughs> you know, um, with, with hindsight as an advantage, um, I think everything worked out perfectly for me. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. <laughs> you know, I agree. Uh, I will say, though, um, even if I have not, had not been fortunate enough to achieve the successes in swimming in the sport that I, that I have su- achieved, I think the uh, the other life lessons from swimming and sport um, in general would have been just huge, huge advantages in life in general. Um, and I think that really comes down to um, time management and com- compartmentalization. Uh, just just those two two factors, you know, being able to know that you know there again there is only twenty four hours in a day, and I have to do school, I have to do swimming, and I, I you know I certainly want to be a, a somewhat social kid. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know those those pressures, uh, you know, really really drove me to understand what it meant to be efficient with my time. Yeah, no, that's a great answer. Actually, really really appreciate the way you approach that. So, time management, uh, compartmentalization. Now, lots going on. You got school, you're driving. Any other sports back in the day that you recall playing? You know, I used to play soccer a little bit. Yeah. Um, so, but that that actually ended right around that time um, okay. that I started getting serious and started commuting because I, there just wasn't enough time. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Okay, so we're heading into high school now, and then on to college. I can step back and just listen, which would be great if you could share your story. One of the key questions though is, when did you know? And I say this in, of course, a very humble way. You're a humble person. When did you know you had a talent? that was starting to exceed those around you. And this, this uh, again, I love it, taking ownership of it, this activity to sport, was just now ingrained. They're, they're really, it, it was just driven by your uh, opportunity, but also by this excitement of, wow, I'm getting better and I'm growing, as you mentioned before. Can you walk us through what your mindset was as you go through high school and then making the decision to compete in, uh, in swimming in college? Yeah, um, that's that's a good question because the the way you the way you phrase it kind of indicates that there might have been one you know paradigm shift in in my entire mentality, but it it wasn't quite that. Um, it was absolutely a you know a culmination of a ton of different things, and and like you had kind of alluded to earlier, my parents have just been absolutely phenomenal in um, in their amount of support and love they've given me. Without that, you know, the the pressure that that you kind of hear about, um, you know, those those negative senses of pressure to to succeed or do whatever, you know, they were no matter what they were, you know, smiling faces at the at the end of the lane, whether or not I had a great race, whether I had a I had a terrible race or, or, or anything, um, you know, that, that pressure came from the coach and, <laughs> you know, the, my, my parents let my coach do his job. And, uh, again, he, he had a, there was a, there was a, a tough balance of, um, you know, what, what a kid in his teenage years can handle and, and what he cannot and what would drive me to hate the sport and what would, you know, c- kind of culture my, my love for the sport. And he, you know, Fortunately, had um, had just enough of the right stuff that through my high school years, I just started to love swimming and love swimming and love swimming more. Um, and and what I loved about swimming was how individual it is, um, which you know is a positive or negative depending on what side of the spectrum you you kind of belong on. And uh, and the fact that again, I was in control of my destiny. Um, I've always been driven by improvement, not necessarily winning. Um, I think I would be just as happy any given day um, if if I if I see a best time up on the scoreboard um, as I as I would be you know seeing number one next to my name. Right. Um, so so that's kind of how how that love has kind of been um, been growing. And then you know I, I saw my brother and sister go to college. I saw the kids above me at the local swim team 
going to college and uh, I saw them going to great division one teams that were competing for national titles. And I was like, man, that is so cool. Um, again, swimming is an individual sport, but at the NCAA level, I think that is the one place where you truly can, can kind of elicit some great performances based off of, you know, a team mentality or doing it for your university, um, or, or your teammates around you. Mm -hmm. Um, obviously, you know, at this point I hadn't, hadn't competed on an international stage yet because I was too young. I, I wasn't quite fast enough, so I didn't experience that. But, you know, that NCAA level was was that first step into doing it. Now, I'm going to dissect that a little bit, and I appreciate your approach to that answer. Now, the parents in the role, there is a common theme, Nathan. I don't think it's going to surprise you at all. There is a very common theme on uh, over 100-plus interviews that I've done here that parents were involved in terms of support but not involved with uh, the ones you know running around calling the coach, uh, let's go out and do this every day type of uh, mentality. So there is really that, that role Break it down a little bit further for us. Can you give us some advice? I, I, are you a parent by by any chance? By the way, I just want to ask. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm an uncle. <laughs> You're an uncle. That that qualifies. <laughs> that qualifies. So you still have a parent, are probably you know multiple. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that qualifies. But if you're speaking to parents and they have that struggle because, of course, they love their children, right? And they want to see them do their best. But you said it. You said it. Let let the coach do their job. So. How do we do that? How do we do that as if you could put us uh, in your uncle's shoes on here and parent shoes on here? How do we help do that? Because I think parents sometimes get lost and then get caught up in this whole, well, I have to because others are also doing whatever that may be. And that can create some of a negative result. You know, I think it comes down to truly recognizing and rewarding hard work and effort um, as opposed to results. Um, you know, my parents, as they saw me going through um, you know, my high school years, they saw that I was, I was going to the optional practices or they saw that I was, you know, I was, I was beginning to actually try and work out as opposed to, you know, just try to get through the two, two and a half hour set so I can go home and play video games. You know, I was, I was there with a purpose and they saw that and they understood, you know, that's, that's what I was there to do. And, and, um, you know, shoot, it's, it's, it's a tough thing to try to, to, to explain how to culminate that, sure, sure. But um, but that's what I feel like my parents saw, and why they felt okay with with you know just kind of taking a a back seat to the coach. And you know, I think something that I appreciate um, as as a kid is that that my parents' experiences of my races was so subjective. You know, it was, <laughs> it was, Hey, he dove in and he looked like he, he looked, he looked great. You know, even though it could have been a terrible time, you know, they didn't even know my times, which is how you, you know, attain that objectivity, um, uh, in, in swimming. And, and that was great. I think even to this day, um, my parents don't know, you know, any of my best times uh, <laughs> throughout any of my swimming years. And I, I, again, I appreciate that. Right. Right. That's great. They don't come, they don't come to you after you win a gold and say, Hey, where'd you get that thing? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just having fun because you know, what's great about that is that it's, it's the pure enjoyment of, in this case, their son, especially back in the day, right? Just having fun. You're having fun. You're, you're part of a team. You're going out there and doing it. And, and they are able to put everything else aside, whether they want to know how to, or want to learn uh, more of the sport and just enjoy you and enjoy your yeah. achievement through smiles and through just natural, like you said, going to those extra practices. So that's a really great lesson, and the thing that uh, I also heard is that they trusted the coach. You know, and you said it. And when you trust a coach, hey, like everything else in life, you gotta trust the pilot. <laughs> you gotta trust the coach. You can't go start flying the plane, and that's not gonna be good for anybody. But uh, well said, well said, Nathan. Now, I like to pull out some of these lessons by asking you questions of advice. So I'm gonna go on with the next one here. You see your two siblings go off and compete at great levels in the NCAA. Uh, now you have a choice to make. Where are you going to go? What were the important and deciding factors? And if you don't mind approaching us from a holistic, academic, as well as athletic uh, answer, I would really appreciate it as you choose your college. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I get asked this all the time. It was, what was your decision down to? You know, I was, I was one of, one of probably, you know, seven to 10 pretty good recruits out of, out of uh, high school. You know, there were, 
we were we were fortunate in that we probably had our choice of where to go. Um, and, and with that, um, I, I took trips to Auburn University, who was, I mean, at this point, they were like five-time defending NCAA champions for like men and women. Their head coach, I think, was the most winningest uh, head coach of all time in any sport, something absurd like that. Mm. Um, University of Texas, which was also, you know, just a, a, a university with an unbelievable tradition of fast swimming. Um, University of Arizona, which was a, a, a little bit um, younger of a, of a, a team and, and squad in terms of, you know, their, their accolades. Um, and then UC Berkeley. Um, so four very, very different places. You think California, Arizona, Texas, and yeah. <laughs> Auburn, Alabama. You, you really <laughs> couldn't find four different places. Um, and, you know, my, my decision did come down to partially being close to home and even more importantly, um, kind of the environment that I was in. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, something that I, I honestly t- uh, took a little bit for granted, but it was, it was certainly one of the, one of the check boxes um, was, was the fact that swimming was, you know, most likely going to end after my four years of um, swimming in college. I mean, that's just kind of statistics for you. That's, that's plain numbers. Right, right. <laughs> um, and I wanted a good degree. So, so uh, you know, there's, there was really not um, a better place for me to go than, uh, than Berkeley. Because, I mean, you look at the Bay Area, you look at the Seattle area, there's so many similarities there you look at the uh the the coaching was was absolutely world-class they had you know had multiple um olympic medals in the sprint freestyles which is what i compete in and then uh you know academically it's it's consistently you know top five top ten in the nation and in the world um and academic rankings which was really important um more so to my parents (laughs) than me at the time but i honestly cannot go cannot tell you how important it is to me now and how happy and proud I am to, uh, to be a graduate of UC Berkeley. Yeah, no, I can hear it. I can hear it in your voice. So you're, you're in college, you are planning, which is really intelligent by the way. And I'm glad you're saying this because no matter what's happening and what level you are competing at there, there is that, well, it's going to end soon here and preparing for that is, is important. Um, as opposed to putting all our eggs in one basket, but you're, you're going through freshman year, sophomore year. What, when is it? And again, it doesn't need to come down to one moment because you clarified that before, but when do you start to have that feeling? Well, gosh, this may go beyond college. Yeah. You know, so all year I had, um, I just had one goal in mind. I was like, man, I, I think I'm, <laughs> I'm fortunate enough to be on a good enough team that will qualify a relay for NCAAs. And basically what that means is that you ride the other, the other older upperclassmen's, talent all the way to qualifying for the big meet, which was great. <laughs> right. yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, was, that was a peace of mind that I really appreciated back then. Yeah. Um, and my entire year, my goal was like, Hey, I, I want to try to, I want to try to drop time and I want to try to get myself in top eight, um, which is, which is a scoring all American position, um, in, in swimming in, at the NCAA level. Okay. And, uh, you know, I, was fortunate to to achieve that um, in the hunter freestyle. I think I in the so we swim prelims. I think I qualified fifth, and I was like, "Yeah, this is awesome! Like, <laughs> I'm, I'm fifth. If I can just move up a couple spots, you know, maybe I can get a top three. And then that night, I just get absolutely crushed, and I get eighth in the heat, so last by a good margin. <laughs> but <laughs> you know, I, I had qualified top eight, so that means I scored those top eight points, which is great, great for the team. Yeah, um, not great for my morale, but. <laughs> At the end of the meet, I was like, "Hey, that was that was my goal, and that that was what I was trying to do." And I was I was just this kid who had recently turned eighteen um, because I was a little bit young my freshman year, um, and I was like, "Man, I'm I'm competing with these kids who are who are you know twenty, twenty one, twenty two years old at at eighteen. Maybe you know with a couple more years of of growing, of of getting stronger, of training, I can I can do something." And that was. 2007 NCAAs, um, which meant that we had about a year and a couple months until 2008 Olympic trials. Right. Um, so then that's when my coach uh, at Berkeley kind of put the little, uh, kind of started 
whispering in my ear, hey, you know, if you keep keep improving, like you can you can have have a shot of of putting yourself on that Olympic team. So then that seed was kind of sown, and and we tried to 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 grow that a little bit. Um, and man, so 2007, 2008, um, my coach decided to leave. Um, his position at UC Berkeley and go down to Florida to train Gary Hall um, and and some others and a professional swim team. And the NCAA allows uh, people to take one year off. It's called the Olympic waiver. And it's as if that year basically never happened. You get to take the year off of school. Um, you, do, you do not do school. You do not compete. And it does not count against you in your NCAA time clock. And and I kind of saw this as an opportunity um, because Mike, my coach, um, had had invited me down there to go train with these guys. And that I, I, I'd say, if you do, if you are looking for for a time in my life that is is that big shift, it, it was then because I got to train as a 18, 19 year old kid with these guys who had multiple Olympic medals, and I was just absolutely wide eyed and so excited to train and get better and um, and do all the right things for my body so it can you know get faster. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and and that was it. You know, that year I trained and I was I got myself on the Olympic team. That's really exciting. We're gonna get to that in a second. But any any challenges along the way is right. You're you you just went off to uh, Berkeley and had success, of course. Now you're taking a year off, and I love that rule, by the way. I haven't, I haven't actually heard that rule before. I'm glad you mentioned it. The Olympic waiver, and so you take that year, and now you're down with let's call it the the best of the best at that point. That's a that's a pretty fast track in a two-year time, uh, regardless of your talents. Any challenges along the way there? And it doesn't have to necessarily be inside the pool. Yeah, man, there's, there's, <laughs> there's always challenges. Um, <laughs> you know, it was long ago, long enough ago now that I, I kind of forgotten about a good amount of them, but sure. you, you know, it's, it's the, I guess, you know, leaving, one of the things is obviously that that was when I guess I, I took my biggest risk in, uh, in, in swimming because I didn't, I mean, I, I didn't know. I was still a ways away. My, my gamble was that I still had a lot to improve um, to go a time that would, that would put me um, on an Olympic squad. And then I was also leaving a, a bunch of my friends, you know, I had just right. been you know, freshman year with these guys and, and girls and, and, you know, had an awesome bonding experience. Now I was going to go take a year off and then come back a year younger than them. It just was never going to be the same, um, after, after that year. So that was, that was kind of weighing on me a little bit too. And, you know, again, whether like it, it was putting me behind in, in school for a year, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, this, <laughs> There's, there's all this, uh, you know, that's, that's, I was on track to graduate and do all this, you know, to go into real life. And this is just putting everything off for you. And as, as a kid, you know, you, you don't understand that it's not that big of a deal, but <laughs> exactly. you know, when I was 18, it was certainly a big deal. Oh, yeah. um, and, and it was, it was a big risk and just going down there and just, that was the point where I threw a bunch of eggs in this one basket. Wow. And your parents at the time, same any concern there? I mean, it sounds like they were uh, putting your words in your mouth here, but a little bit more academically focused from what you said than maybe <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> achievements in the pool. Oh yeah, there was big concerns. They had to, I had to clarify the Olympic uh, the Olympic waiver rule for them. Several times. Uh, uh, I had to I had to make sure that they knew that I could get back into school. A get back into school after withdrawing just right, fine. Right. Um, and B, uh, you know, regain my scholarship back because right. uh, that was also a big deal. You know, out-of-state tuition at Cal is not cheap. No, no. <laughs> That's great. So there you are, preparing for the Olympics. Uh, now what happens, right? You're, you're obviously not competing in the NCAAs. Uh, I'm guessing there are meets, there are qualifying. What happens? So if, if we're an Olympic athlete or pre-Olympic athlete here, sorry, in trials, getting ready, practicing, not knowing what the future will hold in this short period of time. What can we uh, expect? If you could share the story, you're in Florida. It's a year away, I guess, from the Olympic uh, in Beijing, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's 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 happening? What are you doing every day? And when do you know whether you're going to be on that team or not? So that was like, I mean, that was a really fun, really surreal year. 
Um, so I was down there with, uh, with a, a, what's called the Race Club. And uh, this was founded by Gary Hall Sr. and Gary Hall Jr. Um, and they were so, so kind to, uh, to extend this invitation to, uh, to, to me, an unproven 18-year-old kid, to go down there and train with all these guys. Um, just, just name a few, just a name drop for you. Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, Gary Hall Jr., who was at one time the most decorated uh, male swimmer uh, in American history. There was um, Millerad Kavik, who, I mean, a lot of people remember, got second to Michael by a hundredth in, uh, in Beijing. He, at the time, had been a multiple world record holder. Um, Dewey Dragania had gotten silver in the 2004 Olympics in the 50 freestyle. George Bavel had gotten third in the 200 IM. Um, in the uh, in the 2004 Olympics, so there was just you know I went from training with a bunch of high school kids who are still you know I, I don't want to take anything away from them because they were some of the hardest working people um, and some of my best friends to this day. To two years later, training with these you know Olympians that I had watched um, right. on TV with with my high school friends, so that was just that was crazy. Um, and, and living down there was an absolute dream. Um, I mean. We lived in uh, in Key Largo, and I mean, I swear, time just doesn't go by down there. <laughs> it's it's just it's just beautiful and sunny every day, and uh, you know, half the people just are retired down there. They're just going fishing every day, and that's that's all they want to talk about. Um, or they're really a lot of the people that were around the pool were old master swimmers who were also you know equally as excited about swimming as we were. So that was really cool. Um, we would wake up in, and on a typical Monday, I mean, we would train, you know, about 45 minutes to an hour of, of doing what you know, swimmers call dry land, which is kind of humorous to a lot of people. Right. Dry land. That's, <laughs> that's just normal sports for most people. You know? right, of course. And we were just running around, um, running around the park. There was a beach volleyball court. So we were doing, you know, jumps and crazy, crazy exercises in the beach volleyball court. Um, and then after that hour of basically just aerobic training, we go into the water for a little bit more specific stuff, um, developing speed and power and, and even a little bit more of your aerobic base. Um, after that, we would, you know, I was treated, I was treated very nice down there. Um, they, would, they would bring in some food for us because, you know, one of the most important things when you're training that hard is that you need to get some nutrition in your body immediately, if not during, um, immediately after you're done uh, to help recover. And then we'd have, I don't know, three, four-hour break, go home, nap, and then we'd go to the weight room, lift weights for an hour, hour and a half, and then finish off the day with another hour, swim, hour, hour and 15 of, of swimming. Um, wow. So it was a lot of training. Yeah, it was. It, <laughs> it was. was a lot of training. Um, it sounds great, though. I mean, honestly, the way you said it, and, and especially at that age, what a, what a fascinating opportunity and I'm really curious because you you are in the pool, you're doing dry land, of course, uh, but but you're around these let's call them what they are successful, established athletes, obviously wanting to pursue more. The drive is there. If you reflect back, what else did you learn from them that may not have been an apples to apples to what you're doing inside the pool, but was this takeaway of being around? Let's just call them at the time mentors. They're teammates. I get it, but they're also older at that time and more experienced. Do you remember what you learned from being around them? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, Gary Hall Jr. Uh, he was um, kind of the old guy of the group. Uh, he was he was the one person that was uh, over thirty, and he was obviously the most uh, successful of everybody. And I, you know, I was again this eighteen-year-old kid who would just kind of, you know, probably to his annoyance, just kind of st- like stare at him, watch him, <laughs> you know, watch what he was doing, and, and try to dissect it and, and learn as much as I could because. Gary had such a, an amazing sense of what he needed to do for his body in order to get it to, to swim fast. Um, and I think that's, that's something that you develop as an athlete as you get older. Because, you know, when you're younger, I, I listened to everything my coaches said. I listened and I, I did basically everything my coaches told me to do. But, you know, now I'm, I'm 25. I'm, I'm a little bit in a different spot um, physiologically than, you know, a lot of the guys that train with me who are, you know, anywhere from 18 to 22 years old. Um, some of them are still growing, so they're recovering incredibly fast. Um, and, and I have to, I have to know what I, what I have to do for my body personally. And, 
as much as it as, as it stings, you know, some days when we're going fast, I just have to sit back and I'm like, hey, listen, this isn't going to be this isn't going to do me good. Um, you know, today my body needs recovery, and that's what's going to make me faster at the end of the season, as opposed to you know breaking it down even farther today. And that's what I that's what I took away from Gary Hall Jr. Um, a guy like uh, Mike Ka- Millerad Kavik. Um, you know, he experienced an amazing amount of success down um, through that year. I mean, he was he was consistently a top eight at Olympics and World Championships kind of guy. Um, never the guy that you would pin to be like, "Hey, this is this guy's going to challenge Michael um, and maybe take away one of his eight golds that he's going to you know eventually right. earn in Beijing." Right. Um, and what I took away from him was his his sense of dedication and and how much work he put into his swimming down there as opposed to the year before was just so elevated um and i saw that and i saw that he experienced the most success out of that entire group down there and i was like that's right like that's what i that's what i i honestly i like to see because because you know again swimming is a sport that that you get in what you you get out what you put in and i saw that um, firsthand on at the highest level, um, I think there's so many, so many stories where there's just honestly these freak athletes who are just absolutely phenomenal, and and sometimes they don't necessarily have to, um, you know, put in the 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 work or put in the hours that some other people do, right. and uh, you know that can sometimes be a little misleading because. You know, I, being completely honest, I'm not one of the freak athletes. I, I need to I need to have the time and uh, and put in the work if I want to achieve any sort of you know good results yeah yeah no great great times again and wow all the knowledge you learned there what quite a year away from school so here we are and Olympics are approaching I love when I have Olympic athletes on this show to ask what was that moment when you knew you were heading to Beijing when did you learn <laughs> about that Oh, that was crazy, man. My Olympic trials experience was an absolute roller coaster. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us, please. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to back up a right. little bit. Um, we, again, I was this total dark horse kid. There's, and there's always, there's always these sleepers, you know, the people that are in the, laying, laying in the weeds and, <laughs> and you never know, every year there's going to be kids that, that drop a significant amount of time um, to, to do something and put themselves on a team and uh and about i think it was like two or three months before olympic trials um there was a short course world championships and generally world championships are well attended and they're you know the a really high level of competition but this is the olympic year you know everybody's gonna be focused on the olympics so it was a little less attended and you know not as much emphasis was put on swimming fast at short course world championships um uh, you know, in in general, uh, and this is kind of the the feeling that people have through in in the world. Um, so, to make a, uh, a a long story short, I ended up winning that out of out of a lane eight position, which means I had only qualified eight um, to to go into that finals heat, and I wasn't expected to win. And I won it, and then and then that's when people started talking. Hey, maybe this guy, you know, has a chance to uh, to make the Olympics. Maybe he can do something to put himself on this this relay team. And you know, I was a young naive kid, so I kept reading the articles and <laughs> reading the speculation, um, and I, I started buying into it. And that was that was good for my confidence. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> but <right? laughs> here comes the but. <laughs> um, we get to Olympic trials, and here I am, this this hotshot kid. I'm like, man, I, like I won world championships. I'm like, I'm, I just have to have one good swim, and I can I can put myself on the team. That's gonna be great. Um, and I, I remember vividly um, prelims because uh, Olympic trials you go prelims, and then you have a semifinals, and then you have finals. So prelims you just have to qualify top 16 um, in order to swim for the semifinal spot. And um, I was next to Michael in in this prelims, and I was like, "Man, like I'm I'm gonna do so great. I'm gonna I'm gonna just you know I'm gonna try to race Michael and then see what I can do. And uh, you know maybe maybe I can beat him and then show everybody that I belong on that relay. You know because he's been on this relay so many times, and and I want to be on this relay. And and so we we get up on the blocks and then. And then I hear Michael do the little thing that, you know, the iconic thing that everybody knows about where he stretches his arms and he kind of slaps himself on the back. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, this is, this is getting really real, really quick. 
And, uh, <laughs> and then we dive in and he just blows me out of the water. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and he just absolutely crushes me like he crushed everybody in 2008. Right. Um, and I was just so deflated. I was like, oh, man, that was awful. <laughs> and, then, uh, and then semifinals rolls around. And I'm like, all right, like just put that behind you. It's it's time to go again. You got you, you know. I I think I qualified tenth going into semifinal, something like that. Um, and I was I was getting ready to dive in and swim my heart out again because I just needed to qualify top eight. Because basically, the general feeling is that if you qualify top eight at that point, all you need to do is beat two people because top six goes to the Olympics mm-hmm. um, because that includes the individual spots and the relay spots. So yeah. I dive in and I, I swim I swim my race and uh, I, I swim it a little differently. I try a little harder and uh, I finish the race and my time wasn't that much better. And uh, I look up at the scoreboard because the results are instantaneous and I see that top eight scrolls by and my name's not there. And then you know nine through sixteen rolls by and I was there right at you know place number nine. <laughs> So I was like, "Oh crap!" Like, well, that that's it. You know, my my journey to this Olympics is over. Um, I missed my best shot in the hunter freestyle, and uh, I guess I guess it was it was worth it, no matter what. You know, I was I was giving myself all the excuses, <laughs> which you know at this point is is I still believe is true. Right, of course. Um, and then in the warm down pool, my coach comes to me and he's like, "Dude, you're in!" Like. He, like Ryan Lochte, uh, he scratched out of the final because Ryan had gone time fat. He Ryan had beaten me, and uh, and he had scratched out of finals because he didn't he didn't want to compete in that that race individually. So I was like, yes, I'm <laughs> in. This is great. Like I actually made it. I was so happy. <laughs> and then he's like, but you don't know. Like <laughs> you, he looked at me kind of like, hey, you don't know yet, do you? But I had actually tied for ninth. So that means that after Ryan scratched that I was actually tied for eight and there's only eight lanes. So I had to have a swim off that night No way. in order to, uh, to solidify my spot in that final heat. So, you know, I, I, I swam, I did the swim off and, uh, and won by about a 10th. And then again, uh, long story short, I ended up swimming, uh, the finals, the hundred freestyle got my, got fourth. And uh, ended up making the Olympics. Wow, I'm I'm having shivers just listening to the story. I think it's so exciting. I've never heard of a swim off. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's crazy. It's crazy, and it's funny because you know Olympic trials is pretty well attended in terms of swim meets. There's you know ten to twelve thousand people there at, at the arena, and uh, you know that that's what makes it really exciting for us because we're not used to that kind of stuff. Right. Uh, but a swim off happens after the meet is over. So basically. It was like my parents and like Cal team and the other guy's parents, <laughs> you know, that were uh, that were attending that one. So it was based, it was a glorified practice at a really nice pool at that point. And uh, you know, despite that, it was it was it was tough. You know, it was it was a, an emotional roller coaster going from being like, man, I'm going to race Michael Phelps and try to beat him to being absolutely crushed and then beat again, and thinking you're out of it, and then you know somehow finding your spot on the Olympic team. Right. No, it's a, I, love, I love the ending there. That's great. It's kind of like Apollo and Rocky when no one's watching and they start to box each other, you know, and like Rocky two or whatever. It's just them. And, oh, what a great scene right there. So, <laughs> so now, now, so Michael comes out and, you know, I, I it's funny. I've, of course, we've all seen this on TV, but I've never really heard anybody mention it in a way where it's a, it's, it's, it's a little bit of an intimidation factor. Is that true? I mean, you're a professional. You're, you're, you're the top of the tops here. We're right along with them, but is that a little intimidation factor that he gives off there with his? Uh, you know, I think flapping? for anybody who's not used to it, <laughs> yeah. uh, it can be. Yeah. And uh, you know, Michael's not the kind of guy where he's trying to intimidate you. What he's doing is is purely for himself. He has his routine, right. and you know, as does everyone. It just it, his routine includes that that particular uh, stretch and kind of you know slapping himself on the back, and everybody on the on the blocks can hear it. And uh, it's it's kind of become iconic. So I think it's. Uh, it, it can be intimidating to anybody who's not ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting when you said that. That's great. Now, to take away some of the life lessons of that 
event alone. Now you 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 get crushed as just using your words, <laughs> but but your time, right? I mean, it still comes down to, and I get it, right? We're top eight go, but how was your time? And then you had mentioned that you had also then made some adjustments. So I'm curious about how you were in comparison to yourself and where you had been, and then what adjustments uh, do you make on on such a fly, so to say, right? It, uh, yeah. the next the next swim. You know that was uh, that was a, a, another <laughs> another story. Honestly, I mean it. But so at that point, um, to to just give you some some actual times uh, yeah. for for you know the, the sake of the story, I was going forty nine lows in season in the hunter freestyle, uh, forty nine one to twos. I think um, come that Olympic trials, I think I was going about. 48.8 or 48.9s through prelims, through semis, and through that um, that swim-off. And honestly, every time uh, I went those times, I was like, man, that how am I supposed to go faster? Like, mm-hmm. what am I going to do to go faster? I, 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 I don't know. So I'd have to look at video. I'd have to look at where my, my stroke rate would change, where how I approached my turn, how I approached my, approach my breakout, what my, uh, what my dives looked like in underwaters, you know, all those sorts of little metrics that you look at, yeah. um, in sports in general. And, and come the final, I was, I was exhausted. Um, <laughs> you know, I was just like, man, I've, I've swam three times and I've, I've tried every single time and I haven't had the significant drop that I really wanted. Cause honestly going from 49 lows in season to 48 highs, uh, at the end of the season, is just not as significant as a lot of people would like. Um, and, and, I kind of had to take a take a time out and I was like you know at, at that point I was like man it would be great if I just had another day or you know if I didn't have to do this right now right <laughs> right I was like man this is this is my this is it this is this is my chance for the next four years um, to put myself on this team to to get this experience to know what the Olympics is like um, you know going going through the next quadrennial in training for 2012. Um, so I, I really have to do what I can. And again, we looked at the videos and kind of decided that, hey, I need to go, I need to just be out in the first 50 a little bit stronger and then just do my best to try to hold on on that second 50. And I actually, I did it. Um, and it worked out for me because I dropped another half second. And that's the kind of, t- that's the kind of time drop that you're looking for. Cause right. half a second seems so minuscule, of course, but I ended up going a 48, uh, 48, four to make the Olympic team, uh, and, and dropping four tenths off of a time where you thought you gave it your all is, is really significant for me personally. Cause I'm, I'm generally fairly consistent through, through my, my times and my efforts. But that was, that was really kind of eye opening for me. I was like, man, like, you know, the, all the, all the stories about the people like having these really breakthrough, um, breakthrough swims at at the right moment are, are, you know, real. (laughs) Okay. Who are you nation? Thank you for joining us for part one of today's episode. Before we sign off, we recognize how valuable your time is. So if you aren't able to join us for part two, be sure to visit whoareyousports.com, the only place where you will hear our featured guest's exclusive behind-the-scenes story by clicking on Gain Access Now on the right side of the website. Please be sure to visit iTunes to download and listen to part two of the rest of this interview where we will continue our discussion and head into some of our most popular parts of the podcast, the timeout, overtime, and and an exclusive behind-the-scenes story. Remember, Who Are You Nation? It's all about effort over results.